You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole, his drive is recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly come that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with a dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome. This is golf. Andrew Dado's my name, and I'm. Oh, geez. I'm thrilled to have Ted Sterling on the podcast. Who, you say? Who's Ted Sterling? All right, here's how it worked. Uh, Phil Baird, who's the pro at Manly, is a friend of mine. He says, you've got to get Ted on your podcast. I said, who's Ted? And he said, he's doing the uh, rangering, the marshalling down at Manly. And I'm like, whoa, marshal conversation. That'd be great, Phil. Uh, and he goes, he's more than that. So I've Googled Ted uh, until my fingers hurt and found... Almost nothing. When I put that to Ted, he said, that's the way I like it. He is the designer of Bonville Golf Course. He's the designer of Riverside Oaks. He's been the pro at Kingston Heath, at Manly. He did his time at Peninsula in Victoria. He's done a million different things, and it's a pleasure to welcome him to golf. Ted Sterling, how are you? Well, I'm very well. Mr. Daddo, nice to meet you again. Yeah, um, you, yeah. you too. Hey. Yeah. So why is it so hard to find anything about you? Um, probably because I'm pre-digital era and I've never really been that interested in the electronics of the business and uh, most of the people I know, they know me and if I'm asked to do a job, people ring me, they have a contact number. Um, I do, I'm a registered expert witness in the Australian courts and I've done court reports for 40 years oh, and well, I get and what Registered expert for... for Anything to do with golf and accidents really? and insurance, yeah. Wow. That's been around for 40 years and people have my email or, right. or my telephone so number you, and they ring. Yeah, so you don't need to be on Instagram. No. Let's go back to your beginning. Okay. It's, which is, um, you grew up near a golf course. Elstonwick, near, Elst- near yep. Elstonwick, yeah. Um, and then obviously played as a kid. Yeah. Had a gift. Well, you don't think, pro. yeah, you don't think that. I mean, I was born in Elstonwick, lived in Caulfield all my life or junior life. Played golf because there was a golf course across the road. Obviously was good at it because I continued. Um, went to school at Melbourne Institute of Technology, did architecture and also at Caulfield. And as a kid, we, we played golf at school, at the, at, which was really unheard of in those days. Yeah. And obviously I was good at it, otherwise I wouldn't have continued. So 
that's how it sort of develops. And being a member at Elsinore Golf Club as a kid was just one of those things. You couldn't just, get out of bed early enough to play and you had played golf all day, as yeah. all kids do. I'm just trying to remember Elsinwick. It's not so... Glen Huntley like, Road yeah. um, and Point Nepena Highway. And is the golf course still there? No, it was closed by the government. Um, it's been reassessed as a as an open area. Okay. Um, it's also the area where one of Australia's most famous drummers committed suicide. Yeah, yeah. As we know, in, in the old days, uh, the old golf course was 36... Um, uh, sorry, and that was Paul, holes. That was Paul Hester, wasn't it? Yes, unfortunately. And in the old days, that was Kingston Heath, and it was 18 holes, and it was the tram sheds and boat sheds and everything in the old days, and then it became nine holes. Um, and then from there, well... You just, you expand, you know, then I wanted to be, my father wanted me to be an architect and that's why the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology comes in. I wanted to be a golfer. I didn't continue the architecture after about four years yeah. and became a trainee. But I'm going to guess that that architecture training yeah. for that four years yeah. and the golf somehow came together in your brain in a beautiful way. Yeah, accidentally, to take you to, I think. To, to course yeah. designing. But before that, it's interesting that you were at Elstonwick, which was Kingston the first Heath. Kingston Heath. Yeah, and then, then I you became, the, pro at became the pro, which is really weird. And I came from a family of non-golfers. My father was Australian and Victorian billiards champion, and, um, and really, and no golf, <laughs> no golf. And because of the war, he was a ratchet Trebrook. and my grandfather was a, um, a light horseman. Um, and I was supposed to go in the army, which I didn't really want to do. Uh, I learnt um, billiards by Walter Lindrum. You were taught by Walter Linger. Yeah, and I, and I, it meant nothing to me. It was just another name and a face. Yeah. And he didn't play golf, so... <laughs> Did you... So, obviously, your dad would have told you, you know, taught with billiards as well. Yeah. Do you, is there a lesson to learn from billiards for golf? Yeah, stationary. The, 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 the more stationary you can be in your motion, the better the player you'll be in both sports. And, in fact, singular ball sports and stationary ball sports seem to be the most difficult to conquer particularly with, with women. Women seem to struggle a lot more than men. But there's been some very good women um, snooker and billiard players. Right. Um, even though they were never encouraged in my life and, and I suppose as a kid they were never encouraged in golf even. But hence that's what it's yeah. about. Yeah. So when you say stationary, do you well, mean, do you, like, is it is that about that head? Yeah, the head's really the, the centre point and the good players seem to swing around that head. And the more the head moves, the less of the golfer tends to be. And you see that in, in championship golfers and you see it in lesser golfers. So should I say that again? The more the head moves... The less of the golfer you are. You're less of your ability to keep the ball under control. Yeah. So if you move away from it, you've got to move back into it. And that movement seems to be a starting point for the production of bad, bad golf shots. So when you were a pro um, and you started it, Peninsula, yeah. which is, I don't know if you've been to the new peninsula. Yeah, I oh saw it under God. construction and I, and I saw it when it was first built. It's because, brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, because when I first went there, there was um, 18 holes and a, a little nine-hole golf course, which was the ladies' course, that I used to play uh, with a guy called Don Bradman um, when he used to come into the house about, he'd come to stay in the house three times a year and normally with under another name so people wouldn't annoy him and we would play golf every morning when he stayed, 6am, out on this little golf course. And again, he meant nothing to me because he, he wasn't a very good golfer and, I, <laughs> and he struggled getting out of bunkers, but he was a good right. at cricket. So. so hang on, how old were you? Uh, 16. Okay, so yeah. I, hang on, I, this something's not ringing true here. Don Bradman, you played golf with him 
He used to go to Peninsula Golf Club yeah. from South Australia and used to stay in the but house. As a, surely as a 16-year-old, he would have been a god no, to you. No. You're kidding. No. The only, god, the only gods that I knew were guys like Peter Thompson, Kel Nagel, and they used to hit little white balls around. Right. And unfortunately, Don Bradman hit little red balls around. So, right. And so no. what was – what? Um, just so just quickly on Bradman, what was he like? Delightful. Yeah. Delightful. Wanted to be a better golfer. Um, wanted to join Royal Adelaide and they wouldn't let him because he was a stockbroker. And he used to talk about that at length and I couldn't understand what that was about because I I didn't understand. You know, if you if, if you were... Uh, in those days, if you're a, uh, a dentist, you joined that golf club. If you're a doctor, you joined that golf club. If you're a Jewish, you joined that golf club. Yeah. And that's the way these golf clubs formed. And so he joined um, Kionga yeah. and, and was nice at it, um, but he wanted to be... Royal Adelaide, and he it's was because not. he was a stockbroker. Yeah, and that was the the wrong class of gentleman wow. for those types of golf clubs at that time. Okay, yeah. um, and I was very friends with a guy called Roy Higgins. Yeah, and he the jockey. Lived, yeah, and he lived across the road at Kingston Heath, and I used to get him to come in and play golf, and he tried probably four or five times to be a member. And he couldn't get in because he was a jockey. Yeah, was he yeah. a good golfer? He, he was, was a legend. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. I well. Mean, yeah, he was a good golfer. He loved golf, but he wanted to be a member and he couldn't. And Brucey Green, who's at Royal Melbourne, um, his first, uh, his father-in-law from his first marriage was his manager, and we used to play golf together. And but he wanted to join Kingston Heath because he was across the road. Yeah, but he wasn't allowed. So it was to Kingston be. Heath then? Uh, obviously, it's one of the premier golf clubs in yeah. the country. You yeah. know, I mean, let's go top one hundred in the world. Um, what was it like that then? Um. Basically, this business about the best top 100 golf courses is something that was developed out of interest from magazine proprietors. Um, In the early days, no one cared about things like that because your club was your club. Yeah. Um, When I was the pro at Kingston Heath, you very rarely saw visitors. Um, Members couldn't book in. They could only come up. They had to drive into the golf club, had to walk into the locker room and put their name on the timesheet to get a game. Um, There was no microphones. Um, when I used to do the starting from the starters box, the women would bring down scones and jam and cream and everything was very pucker and delightful and it was wonderful. Yeah. And people didn't want to go and play other golf courses. They wanted to play their home golf club. they're happy. Yeah, whether it was Honeydale or whether it was Kingston Heath or whether it was Royal Melbourne, that's the way it was. And as a junior member, I joined Huntingdale at 14 and a half when you couldn't or you weren't able to be a member of a golf club until you were 16. I wasn't allowed in the clubhouse. I had to go to the kitchen around the back door. I had to use the, the workers' toilet because I wasn't allowed in the building. <laughs> but so you're was like not, you're a woman or something, Ted. Yeah, but that was the way it was. Yeah. And guys like Ian Stanley and, and those chaps, they came a couple of years after me. But Honeydale was a marvellous golf course and it was the same thing. It was full of members from that type of area where they wanted to be and that's the way it was. Okay, uh, you're painting a really great... And I think a fairly romantic picture of, uh, is it unfair to say olden day golf? Well, Historic was, golf. Yeah, Do you the think way it was? was yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. you know, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, you've yeah. played with a, a lot, lot of, of different people and a lot yeah. of golf. Yeah. Is it, was it better or just different? It's what it was. It's what you were accustomed to. It was the uh, it was the way the rules were. It was the way you were educated. It was just the way it was. There was no comparisons because that's all it was. It changed over the years as we see today. Now, whether it's better or worse, that's argumentative. I mean, you've got guys like Phil 
and David Saunders now going out here at, at Manly in the afternoon playing golf with Hickory Sharps. Yeah. And falling in love with it. Yeah. And because it has feel and touch. So it's 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 what it is. It's just I don't think it was better or worse. It just it was it was the way it was. Okay. Um, um, I love that phrase, feel and touch. Yeah. Have we are we missing that in golf now? Well, with, with equipment, we're missing it because for the golf professional, he's been taught that he has to hit the ball as far as he can, and it doesn't matter if it's not on the fairway because he's got enough clubs in his bag to hit it over the trees or under the trees or whatever it is. But in my era, in which is Peter Thompson's era and Kel Nagel's era, it had to be down the centre of the fairway. Um, and they played by feel and touch. I mean, Tomo and Nagel and myself in those days, we never had measurements. We didn't need them because you knew how, what, how far the edge of the bunker was. You knew how deep the green was. By looking. Just by looking, yeah. And, and you were spot on. But the, tr- the other thing is that if Tomo or Nagel or any of these guys were, say, 150 yards out from the green, I'm talking yards instead of metres, they, th- they could hit three different clubs with a full swing to the middle of the green. Because that's the way they play golf. So the, the yardage wasn't really that relevant. But today it is because the ball is being struck through the air yeah. uh, and they and it's what they call, what the Americans call target golf. Golf has changed because it's now become Americanised. Americanised being soft fairways, soft greens, target golf. And if you want it to ball further, clubs have got to be longer and lighter. And in my first set of golf clubs with steel shafts and persimmon heads, they were heavy. Yeah, and basically the club swung you today. The, the kids, the kids are swinging it. You would have played with something out of the dead man's closet, I'm guessing. Well, you know, yeah, that probably would have been a hand-me-down set. From yeah, well, yeah, but they were, we thought they were great. You know, yeah. you got yourself a new four. Would you sleep with it? I mean, it was you know, it was you wouldn't let it out of your side. Yeah, and I can remember here at Manly Golf Club when they had the Australian Seniors Championship. Um, I went out and played with Bobby Locke, um, just to shame the golf course. And on the fourth hole here. I hit a driver and a wedge and knocked it in the hole and he hit two woods in the hole and he beat me by a shot. So, <laughs> so he has had two with these old golf clubs yeah, right. and I've had three. But when he finished the round of golf and he brought his clubs into the pro shop, he had a zip on his bag and a lock, a padlock, and he padlocked it so no one would look, no one would touch and no one could get near his golf clubs. And all the old guys, the Sneeds and Sneed played here at the same time, they did the same thing. They didn't like people looking or touching or feeling their clubs. It was all about feel and touch. And, yeah. You know, obviously there was days they woke up and they didn't feel like playing golf, but they did. And there's days that they felt like on on fire. I can remember watching Peter Thompson on the practice fairway at Victoria Golf Club in a tournament we played. I can't think what it was. There was no bunkers allowed in the rakes. We had a scorecard where it had a hole number one, 400 yards. That was it. Nothing else. And I saw him hit some practice balls and he broke three car windows because they used the car park um, from the practice fairway. <laughs> Thompson. At the, and he went bang, bang, bang in the, in the thing. Then gets up on the first hole, knocks on the green and knocks it in the hole for two because it was a short par for the first hole of Victoria Golf Club. Right. So these guys were a different – they had a different way of doing things. And um, Do you, what, you don't think he would have knocked the car windows out on purpose? I know. He, was just, a... he, he wasn't ready, but he was ready by the time he got to the tee. Okay. You see, and, uh, I mean, it's weird when you watch these things because they were the, our gods. We looked yeah. up to them. You know, do you walk away and say, well, shoot, if I hit um, three windows <laughs> – um, do I make a birdie on the first? Is yeah, that, yeah, is that yeah, what the yeah. secret is, you know? Lend me a club because you because it went in the hole or something. But yeah, that's that's just the way it is. But anyway, look, um, w- without getting too involved in it, um, 
I've, I've been very lucky to be in the world of golf and, mm. and have spent my life in golf. I've, I've had wonderful experiences. I won a, a Victorian schoolboy something in 1959 and in 2002 or three, I won a golf tournament at Chatswood, which was the last tournament I played in. So a guy like me has won golf tournaments in six decades, yeah. which I don't think it's unusual or out of context. I just think that's like a job. It's like work. It's what one does. Yeah, it, but it's one of the great things about the game, isn't it, that yeah. you can actually – there is long chair. I played with a guy who's 88 yeah. and still smoked it. Yeah, I and, know. It, and, and, and I hit a shot. And it was a bit skinny, but it went really well. But, you know, that's you know, those skinny ones that – and he turned and he goes, imagine if you'd hit it properly. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, went, what? I know. <laughs> yeah, golf is one of those singular sports because you play by yourself. Yeah. Even if you're in a group of four, it, it's still a singular thing. The only person you really deal with is the caddy in a tournament um, or you push your own buggy. Yeah. Um, but you really well, – yeah, sorry. I was going to say, let's, let's talk about your – course design and the change in golf because you're part of the change oh, okay. with places like Riverside Oaks yeah. and Bonville, okay. which became genuine destination golf courses. Yeah, I mean, Bonville in particular, but Riverside Oaks was a weird one when it first was rebuilt because it was suddenly you had a, champ, a proper championship golf course and a proper destination in far western Sydney that wasn't yeah, somewhere of. you'd consider going from the eastern suburbs, for instance. Yeah. Look, I think both those golf courses came about because of the introduction of developers into the era and, and, and the facility of building golf courses. Prior to that, the golf courses were built by members who got together, wanted to do a golf club and the way they went and built it. So a place like Riverside Oaks, uh, it was called Paradise Gardens, which was a fun park owned by Stafford Bullen, who had just happened to be a friend of mine from Bullen Circus. Um, he decided he wanted to sell on. And um, my partner and I, Bruce Hodson, who's a well-known golf professional, we purchased Paradise Gardens. It used to be called Bungool. It was a ski park. Um, Archie Keene, it was the pro at... The water skiing park? Yeah. Because it's got the river running. Correct. Right on the river, yeah. yeah. And it was a well-known water ski park. And a guy called Archie Keene, it was the pro at Camerate, actually designed the golf course called Bungool, which is an Aboriginal name for the area. They have a... So that was quite advanced at the time then, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And when we came, become involved, we bought the product. There was a building there which um, was the original courthouse for the western area of Sydney and there was even cells down in the bottom where the court where the courthouse was. It was going to be the original city in, in that part of the world, we were told. So we believe that was Is that the, the case. Bit, so a, they've got the new course there now yeah. and there's a derelict building... No, this is, this is a fancy restaurant that's been turned okay. into a restaurant. Okay. And underneath was was where all these facilities were. Right. But when we purchased Paradise Gardens, it was a fun park. People would come there in their thousands on the weekend and get into boats and go around the river and buy lollies and drinks and all that sort of business. And we decided to build a golf course. But we wanted to build the home of the Australian PGA. Yeah. And that's what Riverside set out to be, which eventually it became. And it became an eight-and-a-half golf course. It, then it expanded to 36. But it was built by a guy called – when I say built by – the guy that took it over from us was a guy called Graham Beach, and he wanted to expand and do it residential. But Bruce Hodson and I, we were the ones who put the dirt on the ground. We got the first lateral strata title approved in New South Wales to allow this to take place. Uh, we got a liquor licence. 
we had all those things. Now, prior to Riverside Oaks opening and prior to a golf course being started, we built a thing called Paradise Gardens Golf Course. Then we built Hawkesbury Valley Country Club. And these were both registered with the Nepean District Golf Association. Hang on. So these are pre-incarnations of Riverside Oaks? Yeah, on the same site. So why why wouldn't you just go... Did the idea change or was this no, part of the original the, plan? The original plan was to build a golf course to get people interested. This is Bruce and I. And then as it expanded, we then we were going to build this thing called the Championship Golf Course. It wasn't called Riverside Oaks. It was just a, a dream at that stage what it was going to be. But that's what it finished up to be. Okay. So it expanded that way and this Graham Beach came in and he was the one to put the money into golf tournaments, Australian PGA and and things like that, of which Michael Harbord won this Australian PGA, and he was the trainer, my trainer here at Manly Golf Club, Michael Harbord. Um, and it, that's the way the sort of golf expands and, ch- and changes because yeah. of the influence of these people coming in to build it differently. Now, Bonville's a very similar story. So just on Riverside Oaks. Sorry. Why, why, the mass, why the biggest green in the Southern Hemisphere at the time on the first hole? Yeah, 11,000 the- square metres. Well, it was... It was the reason he wanted to build a I took him to America and introduced him to some of the movie stars. Um, I got him to play with Dean Martin and um, these sort of characters. And, and I, how did you know them? Oh, uh, well, because I went to America quite frequently with a thing called um, People to People Organization. And the guy who was the pro, he was the pro at Bel Air Golf Club, uh, Eddie Merrins. <coughs> and I became good friends with Eddie Merrins. And every time I went over there, he said, Oh, I've told the guys there's an Australian pro coming. Oh, we want to have a game. So I was right, always well. dragged into it wow. and, and things like that. And and how was that experience? Um, well, just part of golf. I never saw it as good, bad or indifferent. It didn't I, – I don't know. I, I just – I was always grounded in those types of things. Yeah. I was basically but, but ta- taught to teach everyone the same, whether it was Dean Martin or um, Mr. <laughs> or, or Mr. Dano or someone like that. But, but you would have known Dean Martin was Dean Martin. Yeah. So was that like... But Dean Martin was also a golfer. So the thing that I liked about him was he played golf. Right. And he talked golf and we he asked questions about golf and I didn't ask him... What? what really? I didn't Were ask Were you interested? Him. Um, people, people like that get sick of all those silly questions. Hmm. If you talk to them about something that they're interested in, they respond to you. Yeah. You know, they don't want to... I'd be asking questions. How much do you drink, and what sort of car do you drive, in? and where do you park? <laughs> How much car? do you really drink? Yeah, well, he drank. He drank a lot of tea and very little liquor. Yeah, and he had a car park spot at uh, Los Angeles Golf Club and at Riviera, and the and the number plate was called Drunky on his car, and that was what was on the side of the sidewalk. So the car was called Drunky, and that was part of the. The, the way he portrayed himself as a personality, but he wasn't actually. No, look, he was just like he looked. He's just like you and I. I yeah. mean, you're in the industry. You know what it's like when you. Yeah, no, you no know, not like that. Well, he's just a bit bigger. That's all. What but, sort of car did he drive? Um, was it was a red Chevrolet. Yeah, right. Two door cool. convertible. That was probably just one of them. I mean, how many more? Yeah, did yeah, he yeah have? of course. But I do have a funny story about um, Bel Air. I was introduced to a guy because I was an Australian golfer. And the guy said to me, he said, yeah, what you, how long are you here for? I said, look, I'm here for a week. Where are you staying? I said, I'm staying with Eddie, blah, blah. What sort of transport have you got? And I said, well, I haven't really. I'm not really fast. He said, look, I own a car yard. Do you want to have a lend of a car? And I said, oh, yeah, why not? So I toddled down to this thing. This guy owned Hollywood Ferrari. <laughs> so every time I went to the States, 
I was stuck with having to drive a Ferrari. So Stuck. Where are you going to put your golf clubs in a Ferrari? Well, he had a Mondial that he lent me, and the Mondial, you could put a carry bag across the back. And later in years, I bought Ferraris. One of them was a Mondial. Yeah. So I could put the carry bag across the back. So um, they're the, sort of, they're the so things that I find interesting yes. about golf that you can – I don't like the word rubbing shoulders. I mean, they're the same as you. Their experiences have put them where they are. But underneath, just like talking to Ben Hogan and things like that, their interests are, if your interests are the same as them, there's a real connection as to how you deal with each other. Yeah. And I didn't have to walk around and pat people on the back and say, geez, you're, you know, you're a great bloke or anything like that. You just, I don't know, it's just why I am. I suppose part of it also is that you have a knowledge that they're keen to investigate. Yeah, they did ask a lot of questions yeah. about golf. Yeah, because they all it, did. Yeah, because it, yeah. And, and I guess if, if you went to their workplace. Yeah. You would ask a lot of questions about their film or whatever it is, and and that would be normal for them then because they're in their workplace. You're well, in your workplace, so it's normal for them to ask you about yours. Yeah, Maybe look, I, I think that's a very smart observation. I think that uh, that's basically what it is. And I mean, the perception is that everyone's the same, but everyone isn't the same. And if you can be just normal as you are, the way you are, then I think you get on. And in in the world of golf, you're dealing with people every day. Yeah, all types of people. And on the golf course, it's like being on a nudist beach. You don't know who they are. They haven't got their wig on and things like that. So they're just a golfer, aren't they? Right. Um, yeah. so, so is that how you approach your, your life as a teacher? Is to Yeah, I don't care go, who they are or what they've done. You're a nudist. Yeah. Hello, well, nudist. I don't know, yeah, well, something like, yeah, well, yeah, all the wobbly what? bits get in the way then. Yeah, so <laughs> when you try and hit a golf ball. In your, I mean... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Proper lifetime in golf. What's what are people missing in in lessons when people start playing or when people are they've got the bug and they're into it? Where, where does it fall down generally? I know it's a look. I think golf's a very difficult sport to pick up and play. It's it's a very funny sport because the, the shaft wobbles around and it works in the reverse to what most people think. So when I used to teach beginners, I'd say now the further left you aim, the further right the ball's going to go. Well, of course, then they scratch their head and look at you and say, well, you know, am I got the right teacher in this place, a rat bag? But, you see, it's a game of opposites, and if you try to hit the ball in the air, they try and scoop it up so it goes along the ground, and then you say to them, well, if you hit down, the ball will go up. And so they learn these things, and as beginners, you've got to teach them the foundations, the fundamentals, 
the solid things, which is, you know, good grip, how to set yourself up, what is square to the target. And I think my knowledge comes back to the fact that if they practice enough, the same thing time and time again, they become repetitive. How re- repetitive they can be, how good they can be, becomes a mental exercise. And the strength in the great players is what's between their ears, not, not what's in their hands. Yeah. Last week, I spoke to a girl called Tracy Tresseter, who's yeah. a, a coach, a, oh, okay. but a mind coach. Oh, okay. And so we talked only about the mind. Oh, God. And it was genu- genuinely scary. Fascinating. <laughs> scary. Yeah, it's probably scary. But fascinating as well is that yeah. the way we can talk ourselves into a situation and out of a situation as well. So, so as someone dealing generally with the physical fundamentals what importance do you place on the mental for the for the golfers that you coach well there used to be a book called the power of positive thinking by norman um, peel or beal i think uh, of which gary play gave me a copy of years and years and years ago and look the problem with golf is when you have negative thoughts you play badly Mm. and I think most people believe they're not good enough to do anything, whether it be run around the block or drive a motor car or hit the golf ball on the green. This mindset of being positive in your attitude when you compare people like Gary Player to someone else, I mean, he's driven and that's what it is. And this power of positive thinking to believe that you're good enough, you're capable enough um, and you practice and it starts to happen and you've got to believe in yourself. Look, I have a daughter who was born with epilepsy um, and she never had a seizure until she was six. So from, from zero to six, she was a normal child. Then she has a, a seizure. And my daughter's now about 45. And I must have been t- with her at um, neurologist probably thousands of times. And he used to explain to me what was going on in the brain when Kirsten had seizures. And I'd see these on the computer screens. And he explained to me what was going on. If she took a cigarette, you'd see what happens to the, the nerve endings and things like that. And so this brain, this business of how the brain works is really, it's a weird thing because Kirsten has had, she's been admitted to a hospital more than four and a half thousand times in her life. She has seizures without warnings, so she falls and hurts herself. Yeah. Um, I've seen, when Kirsten was young, I've seen Kirsten sit at a piano and play a tune she can hear on the radio and has no idea how to play a piano and no idea how, what a tune is. And, and there, here's this girl that's got this brain that's affected by epilepsy and she can't do things. Yeah. You know, she can't be her own self. So the, this business, the way the brain works, the positive thinking, it's a minefield. I, 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 look, I've got to tell you, I have no idea how it works. Um, I don't know whether I've got a but strong mind. But you're a believer in it, though. So oh, it's totally. Like the, and it's that thing of free will. And yeah. if, I, if I hit it towards that tree, yeah. that branch, and that, well, I can probably get it. In that direction. Well, Hogan used to say a tree's 90% air, so if you hit it hard enough, yeah. it goes through well. You've mentioned Hogan a couple of times, so you yeah. must have spent some time with him. Well, I was lucky enough to go to America a few times with um, Gene Hoffman, who ran a business here called Gold Metal Golf, and um, the Hogan company was taken over by AMF. and that's The 10-pin connect- bowling? Yeah, the 10-pin bowling. Yeah. And that was the connection. So we went to Fort Worth, and, and Gene said, oh, do you want to meet Mr. Mr. Everyone called him Mr. Mr. Hogan. Hogan yeah. And um, I said, oh, yeah, sure, why not? We're here. And he's a golfer, so he's got to be have something going for him. And so we did. We, we sat and had a cup of tea. And the first question he said to me was, how's Mr. Thompson? And I said, you mean Peter Thompson? And he said, yes, that's the, that's the guy. And we talked at length about Peter Thompson. He had a thing about Peter Thompson. His belief was that Tomo was the best golfer he'd seen. 
because he did it easier than anyone else he'd ever seen and he did it easier than what Hogan felt he had to do because Hogan worked harder than anyone and he couldn't quite get through his his mentality that here's this guy that had this wonderful golf swing and the, produced the shots that he wanted but Hogan had to work and work and work and he had this thing he, he, for some reason he must have just thought that Tomo was a a nice bloke or a good bloke, and they might have spent time together, but yeah. he often spoke to me about him, and he was obviously had something in him. But, look, Ben Hogan was a delightful character, um, never had children, built a wonderful home with one bedroom so no one could come and stay. Um, <laughs> you, may, that, you may well laugh, but <laughs> that's the Is sort, that a fact? Yeah, that's the way it was. And, wow. And he had a terrible life. I mean, he saw his father kill himself. Mm. He had, a, he had a sister and a, and a brother. The sister was called Princess. Um, and they idolised each other. But, look, he had a hard beginning and, a, and he worked very hard and I think he deserved everything he got. But he was grumpy because I don't think he dealt with the public very well. Right. Everyone on his case all the time. But as a person, if, if you were Ben Hogan, I'd be talking to you just like I am today. There, okay. was, there was no animosity. There was no, but I'm better than you. You, maybe, you bloody Australian or maybe, something. Maybe that's something about you, Ted. So I'm getting the feeling there's something that, that there's a genuine warmth in your nature that I'm sure a lot of you have a thing of being able to put other people at ease. I'm certain. So that you have these stars, whether they be film or golf or whatever, who probably gravitate towards you because it's it's just another bloke who wants to talk, talk yeah, golf. He wants, well, you may be right. I've never gone out of my way to be the way I am or the way I'm not. Um, obviously, if that's the way I am, then it's come from mother and father. Yeah. Um, and my mother was a wonderful person and obviously my father was affected by the war and I had very little to do with my father Yeah. because he was never there. He was a bit like Phil. He'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go fishing and he had a major building industry and he'd come home at late in the afternoon and I'd have dinner and I never saw him again. So right. I, d- I don't know. I don't know where this all comes from. Um, yeah. I do know that I've always try to treat people equally and I I always feel it I'd like to be feel that I'm treating them the way that they would like to be treated and vice versa I mean obviously there's people you meet that you don't like and vice versa but look I seem to warm to most people um I'm not an angel by any means I've certainly had my fair share and everyone else's fair share by the sounds of it but uh, yeah. I've done what I've wanted to do I wanted to play golf and I know that um when you marry and you have kids and you've got to spend some time with children, I think the golf takes that away from that time because we spend too much time at it. But it's, At it, golf or at, parenting? No. <laughs> uh, well, both. But golf takes the, the cake. Look, yeah. you've, got to, you've got to work so hard at golf. You've got to do it all the time. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, it takes five or six hours to play a game of golf with a bit of practice and that, and you're away from the house yeah. all the time. I mean, I, like most people, probably spent 20 years of my life where I play golf every day. It's great. Is it a game? Well, <laughs> is it is it a game that's in your in your thoughts? Like constantly, you, absolutely yeah. constantly. And can you control that? Or um, I relish it because um, I, I like hi- uh, the golf history of things. And, and in fact, um, Phil and I are delving into the history of Manly Golf Course. Yeah, you're talking about Phil Baird. So he's Phil, the pro oh, sorry, Phil Baird from Phil, Manly Golf. He's the pro. At, he's the current pro at Manly. We're yeah. sitting in his office, and I'm happy yeah. to say he's tidied it since the last time I was here. Yeah. I so. helped. I helped. <laughs> I made him do it. <laughs> Look, um, I like history because of golf. Because 
we, we have all these books about the history of Manly Golf Club or the Australian Golf Club, but they don't talk about the golf course. It's always about the golf club, mm. which is the organisation run by the people. And I like where the golf courses sit in this all in this thing, where they start, how they develop, where they go to, and things like that. Look, there's a uh, there's a golf course out west called Twin Creeks. Yeah, at Ludnam. Yep, I and, played there. I used to was a member there. So okay, now that's built on an old golf course, which most people don't even know. Now, with this golf design Australia business that we used to run we were commissioned to do a DA approval on that site to build a golf course. Now, that was the original combined RSL's golf club. And some of the golf holes today follow the original site. Uh, and Marsh, he... Well, Marsh, Ray Marsh, yeah, he was commissioned to do the golf course from a different owner to the ones that we worked for originally. Um, and he, he did a magnificent job. But, I mean, a lot of these golf clubs have history, or the golf course has history which is hidden and... I, I like to sort of delve into that sort of business. How do you feel about changes to uh, to your work? So let's look at Riverside Oaks. There was you and then there was... Tom, Thompson, had, Tom Thompson, had a hand in it. Woolbridge yeah, came along yeah. and uh, Jack Newton. Yeah, they all did. Look, um, golf you, clubs are... Uh, what are you uh, doing? It, what have you done? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of, of course, because you have your own ideals of, you know, what it is. I mean, it's a bit like being in love with a girl and you don't see her for 20 years and when you run into her, she's not the same person. And that's what a golf course happens to be like. Mm. It starts out as something, um, young, beautiful, fresh, and then this bloody thing called age creeps up. You add 20 years to it and it changes. Now, whether it's better or whether it's worse is basically irrelevant because you're still playing golf. You're playing golf differently with different golf balls and different areas of, of concerns with clubs and things like that. But... It's never better or worse. I mean, the only two golf courses that I have had any great experience with, um, of course, is Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, and they really haven't very rarely changed much at all. They've, yeah. they've added to it a bit. I was also, um, I must tell you that I was a junior member at Huntingdale Golf Club, but at because my sister lived in Sandringham, I played most of my golf at Victoria Golf Club. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And in those days, in the 50, late 50s, um, we had honorary cadetships at Royal Melbourne Golf Club. And so I played all those golf courses thinking that was absolutely normal. That's what all golf courses are like. And we'd go out of Victoria Golf Club and you'd play the 10th hole, the 11th hole, and play down the 12th, hit it across the road onto the 17th green, putt out the 17th, go up the 18th and go and have uh, lunch in the clubhouse because there was a lady there used to make their own bread and all that sort of business. And then you come back and back to the clubhouse. How good? Oh, well, we couldn't do it today, but it's what kids did. Yeah. And, we, and I was a kid in those days. I mean, I just thought that was just the way it was. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's like it's almost, well, it's not full circle, but you're certainly experiencing a new part of the game now. So, you know, as you're in your mid I'm 75. 70s, okay, right. Mid, yes, at least 75. At least yeah. 75. Uh, Grey hair. Yes. Hey, at least you've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and now you're marshalling at Manly two or three days a week? Yeah, well, what – I mean, it's really quite – I've actually enjoyed it. It was uh, – I spoke to Phil about the golf course history. It had nothing to do with marshalling and tea starting and things like that. And he said, what are you doing on the weekends? And I said, well – I manage three resident, and I still do. I manage three residential hotels at Warunga, as a thing that Kathleen and I do. And I said, "Well, I don't do much. I don't play golf and blah blah." He said, "Would you like to come and do some marshalling and tea starting?" Now, I was the pro here, 
And I'm thinking, well, that would be absolutely weird. But mm. when I got here, you, you can't believe how enjoyable it's been. Yeah. Um, I've met people that I used to give lessons to and they remember it. Yeah, right. Um, and I've met people that... You're the one. Yeah, yeah. You're the one. I keep hitting it to the right. And I, and I used to say, look, follow Tomo's lead, just aim further left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I've met people that I don't know yeah. and, and things like that. But, look, it's really been nice. I've, I'm back outside again. I'm looking at – every time I drive around, I see the golf course. I look at the way Tomo – or Ross Ross did it, not Tomo yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah. Ross, yeah. Um, Ross and I are great mates, by the way. Um, I look at the, where the material's been moved to and whether it works well. And when I'm doing golf course design, which I'm doing all the time, I work with a guy called Darby Mueller from Golf Shapes, and Darby's an ex-golf course superintendent. And when I want to do something and he doesn't, it's because it's hard to maintain. Okay. And I don't see it that way. So coming back to Manly Golf Club and meeting these people and being social again, being outside has been an absolute wonderful experience. It's, it's, it's spooky because you've come back to a place I haven't been here for whatever it is, 30, 40 yeah. or five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's been a good experience. And, and with, with your ongoing work with course design, um, they it's lasers, it's you know auto-leveling and, and, and highly technical now. Is there still room for a, f- a look and a feel? Well, and all a- that that's to make the golf course bland. You see, that's what they the do. The blanding of the golf game. Yeah, that's the Americanisation. But it, the hands-on is still there. Um, and when I do work with Darby, because Darby rings me every second week and says, "Look, I'm going to do a couple of projects, and we're working at East Lakes at the moment on safety issues because of my ideas with golf course design, but also because of the the business of being an expert witness and I talk about things that I want to do and that's input is the way the golf course design and then the golf course maintenance comes together, even though I want to do it. And if he doesn't want to do it, he always wins because it's too hard or it's, it's whatever it is. And when he's doing a bunker, I'm standing like 50, 60 metres away and I'm talking to him. I'm saying, you know, a little bit lower, a bit higher, whatever it is, a splash of sand or something like that. Um, and that's but we're still hands on, yeah. Um, and all those aids, they're all aids, um, you know, uh, the electronic stuff. So it's it's an asset, but it's it's so is that the same for coaching now? Then the coaching aids, I mean, because there's well, literally, I mean, I'm, look, I, there's a hanger over there, there's a mirror over here, yeah. Look, I think that it's all advantageous, but the worst thing you can do to a golfer, particularly an early beginning golfer, is to let them see a self image because it will destroy them. They all think they look like Marilyn Monroe until they look in the mirror. And it's the same with the golf swing. The golf swing is not what they appear it, they think it is. And they work on things sometimes which they just don't come to terms with. I mean, their own swing is great. They can, you've got to convince them that even though you do this, this and this, that's a good move. Mm. It looks good. It's not. You don't look like Tiger Woods, but then, you, you know... You, but you, then the, 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 the single... Well, I'm guessing, I'm asking... The single biggest revolution in teaching is to video the swing. Yeah, well, most people can't deal with it mentally or physically, and optically they they get frightened by it. But it's an aid and it helps. So it's one of the tools. Yeah, the best tool we have for teaching is the voice. Um, and I don't know whether the younger generation. <laughs> talk. Don't you tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah, bastard. Um, <laughs> look, the communication gap 
is obviously bigger with the younger generation, but that's the way that they've been brought up. And I, you can't stop it. Like, no. This is the stone going down the hill trick. By the time it reaches the bottom, it'll be a boulder. And you can't stop it. You can divert it um, and move it to a different direction, but you can't stop it. So you go with it. Um, I mean, when I was a kid and I watched Tomo play golf and he would make comments, oh, you do this, this and this. And I, I mean, that meant nothing to me until you try it and learn it and practice and, and it works. But, look, I think all this new technology, um, it, it has a place. I think, it's a, I think it's a great asset. It's how you use it. Um, but at the end of the day, you've still got to convince a person to be confident mm. that what she's doing is pretty good and the golf shot feels like this and the golf ball can go this way if you do this, this and this. And they've got to try and convince them to practice and work hard at it because it's, it's a very frustrating. I mean, you know yourself, it's demanding and it's easy to throw a stone into a golf ball, isn't it? I mean, you know, easy to throw it easier to throw a stone than hit a golf ball. Yeah, yes, it is. It is, and I mean, that's that's just the way it is. That's the nature of the beast. I mean, the ball's stationary. I mean, the golf started by the the guys getting off the boats at the at the estuary at St Andrews and hitting stones on their way to the the township and then doing it on the way back. And they and they're obviously a lot of Dutch seamen because they had that like, that bent crook thing. Yeah, and. It was just so. I mean, bat and it's a bat and ball thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a business with boys and their balls again, and now it's girls with their balls. I mean, it's the it's the way it is. Before you or before anyone sort of leaves the game, for whatever reason, but you know, like we're all going to leave the game at some point. Yeah, what should we attempt to experience? So at least our our, our golfing life, we can go. Well, it's complete because I. I mean, you've done so much, yeah. but what do you reckon anyone well, should... Well, I, I think now, and if you had asked me this a couple of months ago, I wouldn't have answered it this way, but I think revisiting where one starts in yeah. early has been an absolute eye-opener for me. I mean, it's, it's been tremendous. I can't believe how one feels um, when you see things that, that, you know, what I'm talking about, 30, 40, 50 years. Mm. Um, I, I, if, if you had the opportunity to do something like that, did you start as a kid... And you've gone on and done a million and one things, and you go back to it. I I hope that it's the same thing for everyone else. It's, I, it's been it's a, stimulating beyond belief for me. I yeah. I can't believe it. It's been wonderful. I wonder if Devil's Bend Golf Course is still there. Devil Bend Golf Course is still certainly still is there. It's still there. It is still there. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, that could be it, a job for summer. Yeah. Um, Ted, what a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. Can very I much. ask you how long we spoke for? Uh, we've been at it for for a while. Uh, <laughs> 45 minutes well, Look it's been an absolute um, Tremendous experience I've loved every minute of it I can't <laughs> believe it's 45 minutes No no it Well sounds, you know Sounds like a very short game of golf to me <laughs> Good on you Ted Thanks okay. very much Thank you so much So that's Ted Sterling uh, A life in golf and a, and a golfing life Gee whiz So many things So many great names So many places So many experiences I reckon we've just about Scratched the top of that that story there's a lot more to be had uh, thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed it uh, we'll see you next week on Golf Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 